right, good morning. My name is John. Uh, I have uh, the honor and privilege of being one of the pastors here. And I'm uh, very grateful that you're, you're here with us today. Thanks for, for being with us here uh, this morning. Um, we have been in a series in, in the beginning of every year leading up to Easter. We always look at uh, one of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, one of the Gospels, the Gospel narratives. And this year we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. And the way that Jesus announces his ministry in the Gospel of Luke is through this lens of jubilee, which is uh, this ancient idea that he references from, from Israel. That there, every 49th year, things would be restored to the people. So the land would be restored to the people. The people would be released from their debts. That slaves would be released. And every, every uh, person would rest for an entire year. So Jesus picks up on this story. And then that colors everything that he does. That's how he announces what he's about to do. So he spent about seven weeks looking at how Jesus does that. What he, how he's enacting Jubilee in his life and in his world. And it was supposed to get the juices flowing for us and just watching how Jesus is bringing Jubilee into the world. And then at Easter, we look at, as we do every year, that Jesus uh, dies, that he becomes the victim of violence. As he is preaching this kingdom of Jubilee, this good news, it comes into uh, direct opposition with other kingdoms of the world. So if he's preaching good news for the poor, then that's kind of bad news for the rich. Because they're going to need to have to give in order to restore. If it's freedom for the oppressed, then it's bad news for the oppressors. If it's um, the debts are let go, then it's bad news for those people who hold the debts. And if Jesus is coming as the king to bring this kind of kingdom, then it's the bad news for every other king and kingdom in the world. Now, Jesus is not violent at all. But other kingdoms are. When kingdoms collide in our world, they become violent. And that's what happens to Jesus, is he becomes the victim of violence on the cross. But in the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate at Easter, it's this good news that the Jubilee dream is not dead. And Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. And this Jubilee dream carries forward. And so that's the invitation for us. In about the next ten weeks, we're going to look at how we can become people who look like Jubilee, who are characterized by Jubilee. So this morning, we're going to continue on that path, looking at Luke 11, a very famous uh, and short passage. So I'm going to read it for us this morning, starting in verse 1. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. This is God's word. So this morning we're going to look at it in three different parts. I'm going to introduce it to us, kind of set the table for us about what this passage is saying for about 15 minutes, and then I'm going to invite my uh, friend John, John Stone, to come up and, and talk about, just reflect a little bit on Jubilee and also how he is learning to pray and forgive. Uh, and, and then we're going to spend some time, if we have some at the end, we're going to spend some time just actually praying through this together. So we're going to do three different things this morning. So the first, uh, I want to just set the table and look at this prayer very quickly. So Jesus is praying. That's the obvious statement. That's why they pay me the big bucks here is because... Uh, I get to study these things. Um, But Jesus is praying. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that this characterizes Jesus' ministry, and it characterizes the ministry of the early church. Prayer. Prayer is essential to dreaming this Jubilee dream, to becoming people who look like Jubilee. Now, why is prayer important if we're going to become people that look like Jubilee? And we're going to look quickly at three reasons. The first is that it reorients us to the king and the kingdom of Jubilee. The second is that it invites us to take the posture to both receive and extend Jubilee. And then third, it helps us to dream the dream of Jubilee. So we reorient ourselves. Then it invites us to take the posture of people who receive and extend Jubilee. And then finally, it helps us to dream this dream of Jubilee together. So let's very quickly look at that. So first, the disciples' prayer is reorients us to the king and kingdom of Jubilee. So Jesus starts with this word, Father orienting us to the person who has the first, is the first dreamer of this Jubilee dream, to God as the one who cares for the poor, for the oppressed, for the broken, to the one whose power has raised Jesus from the grave and keeps this Jubilee dream alive. So he says, Father, and then he says, your name be honored as holy and your kingdom come. There's two yours, your name, your 
kingdom. And so for us, this is a challenge to us, and it's a reorientation to each of us, because the gravitational pull in our lives and in our world is is to put ourselves at the center of the story, for everything to revolve around us. Listen to how one of my favorite authors, David Foster Wallace, says this. And he's not a Christian guy. This is just his observation. But here's what he says. A huge percentage of the stuff that I tend to automatically be certain of is, it turns out, totally wrong and deluded. Here's one example of the utter wrongness of something I tend to be automatically sure of. This is just in my bones. That everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I'm at the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. We rarely talk about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us deep down. It's our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There's no experience that you've had that you are not at the absolute center of. And I think Christian people tend to say, oh, I know, our culture is so self-centered, so secular people out there. But we need to press in and hear what he's saying to us. He says, deep down, this is all of us. That every one of us is like that. It's not just out there, this is in here. This is me. This is my problem. This is our problem. So what, how does that affect our prayer life? Well, then when I pray, if my concern is about me and myself, then I assume that what God is here to do is actually make all of my concerns come true. That, that prayer actually orbits around me and my life, my finances, my goals, my family, my bank account, my success, all these different things. And here's the thing in the Bible, God does deeply care about these things. He cares about them a lot. It says in the Bible that he uh, knows the numbers of hair on your head. Even when you get a haircut that's slightly too short for your liking, uh, he still knows how many hairs are on your head. So he deeply cares and knows, but that doesn't sit at the center for him. That's not the appropriate place for it. What it means to be human is actually to sit just off to the side, that God actually and his kingdom and his name is the, is the most important thing. So if David Foster Wallace is correct, and I think that he is, then God's, the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer is a confronting thing for us. It's a reorienting thing because it asks us to put God's honor and glory first. Make it primary concern, not not me and my glory and my status. And it asks us to put God's kingdom, that that dream, the Jubilee dream, would be the key one for us. Because the most important thing in our lives, not our middle class Canadian dreams, but the dream of God's Jubilee. So the disciples' prayer reorients us to the God of Jubilee, to his name, to his kingdom. And then the prayer moves from your, your kingdom, your name, to us. That we now are invited to come as people who receive jubilee and then we can extend it. We're to come as people who are, are broken, who are ensnared, who are stuck, who are poor in order to receive that we may go out and extend that to the rest of the world. So let's quickly look at, at what it says. First it says, give us each day our daily bread. So two observations I want to make here. The first is that it says, give us what we need. That's what it's asking for. Give us what we need, not what we want. Give us what we need not what we want, the bread I need for today. And it's, it's focusing on simple living, as Paul says, on running lightly in this world. If we want to be people who are a people of jubilee, who are generous to those who are broken, to those who are poor, to those who are oppressed, then we need to be free of that ourselves. Not, not focused on accumulation, but on living simply. So give us what we need, not what we want. And the second thing is to give us what we need, not give me what I need. Give us what we need, not give me what I need. The prayer is actually a communal prayer, that we learn to pray this together. And what Paul is, or what, what Jesus is saying here is that what he's asking God to provide, or we're asking God for, to provide what every person in here needs by providing through the community. And if you read into the book of Acts, you'll see this happen in many beautiful ways. It says that the people who had more sold what they had in order to provide for those who didn't have enough, or they gave it away. It's this beautiful reality of the people who have more giving of what they have, sacrificially giving, and the people who don't have enough asking and receiving of this jubilee reality taking place. So jubilee happens within this community, and that's the offer for us as we pray this prayer too, to give us what we need, that we would be a people who are generous with each other, and that there's enough in this community that no one has to go without 
So the next sentence, forgive us our sins as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. I've memorized this prayer probably three different ways. I pray it with several different people. They all pray it differently. And then this one says it differently. So I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. So I apologize. Let me make six observations about this, and, and then I'm going to bring John up. So the first is this is the place in Jesus' prayer, in the disciples' prayer, where the jubilee reality connects with this prayer in very deep ways. So if you remember what Jubilee is, how Jesus announces it, it's like this. He says, I'm here to preach good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It is Jubilee. That's what Jesus says. Now, if you were here at Easter, you may remember that these words, release and free, which are underlined up here, they're the same word in Greek, in the original language. They're this word, a facin, or a version of it. And this word can be translated in a lot of different ways. It can be said to to let people go, or to free them, or to release them, or to pardon them, or, as it's translated into the Lord's Prayer, to forgive them. It's the same word all along. So Jesus uses this word twice in the Lord's Prayer. He says, Efface in us our sins, for we ourselves also efface in everyone in debt to us. And that turns this prayer into a jubilee prayer. That forgiveness is a jubilee idea, and forgiveness is a key idea if we're going to be people who live into this jubilee reality. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's an order to a face, an order to this forgiveness or release or freedom. Listen to what commentator Diane Chen says. This petition encourages a virtuous cycle that God initiates. So God is the initiator. Because God first forgives, Jesus' disciples are liberated, they're a facened, they're freed, they're forgiven, from the burden of their own sins, and in turn, they are then free, they are effacened, to efface in others, to go forgive other people. And in doing so, they secure the confidence that God will continue to be merciful to them. If one truly appreciates God's mercy and forgiveness, one will gladly extend the same to others. So there's this receiving of, of forgiveness, of freedom, of release that we get, and then we release it to others. There's an order to it. Number three, we are to ask for freedom or a facin for our sins. Now, the word that's used here in this passage is kind of the most generic one in the New Testament, and it just has a range of meaning. It can mean a lot of different things, this word sin. So it's anywhere that I've missed the mark, for example. You may have heard that one. It's like a, a ter- an archery term that you may still hit the target, but you miss the bullseye. Or anywhere that I've failed to be fully human, or that I've dehumanized other people, where I've dehumanized others in myself. Or places that I've lost the, the script of, of Jubilee and I've started to focus and put at the center a different kind of dream. So that's what we're invited to do is, is ask for a face and ask for forgiveness, ask for freedom and release for the places where we've lost that, that story. But it's not just a personal reality. It's not just me asking forgiveness for my sins. If you look at it, it says, a face in us, our sins. Release us from our sins. And this is talking about a different kind of sin. We've talked about this before, that there are at least five levels of sin in the Bible that it talks about. So there's personal sin, that I do things that are wrong. Then there's communal sin or familial sin, that people do things that are wrong to you and they affect you. Then there's just the ways that our societies are broken. And then there's the way that our world is broken. And then, as we've talked about, and Jesus focuses a lot on in Luke, there are just dark powers in the world at work to break our world down, to cause us to walk away from God, to be less than human. And that's what uh, Jesus is talking about here. Anywhere that we, as people, we fail to be human and dehumanize others. Any place that that we have lost the Jubilee dream. Anywhere that we, as a people, have lost the plot and we have created systems of oppression or injustice or inequality. These are the places we are to come and ask for forgiveness for a face and for release for freedom so number four asking for a face in isn't a one-time deal it's a daily affair jesus says whenever you pray this prayer whenever you pray pray like this that you would come before me and ask for freedom for release for forgiveness and so jesus following jesus uh, when we when we start to follow him it, it starts with this recognition that we're stuck 
that we are headed in the wrong direction, that we are oppressed, that we're enslaved, that we're burdened, that we're broken people, whatever the language is that you use. And it involves hearing the call of Jesus and turning. If you've ever heard that word repent, which we don't use too often anymore, it's that idea that you're headed in one direction and you turn and you walk in the other direction. And so when you follow Jesus, it involves that first turn. But the Bible is clear that we are to continually turn. That's what Jesus is saying. That all the time our lives are to be characterized by this turning back, this turning away from brokenness and oppression as God reveals it in our lives, that we are to turn back towards him. That we see different places that we've fallen short, that we've missed the mark, and we receive the forgiveness, the effacing, the release of God. And I know that this can sound uh, like really crappy, because it kind of it can make God out to seem like a super critical piano teacher, right? And you're just doing your scales, and they're just like there with the ruler, ready to smack your hands. That's a bit of my uh, history, if you uh, if you're wondering where that that little ditty came from. Um, but it can seem like that that he's just waiting there to just be like, look at what's wrong with you, and point it out. But that's not the character that we see of God revealed in the Bible. Instead, it's 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 different. The reason that he is continually pointing out areas where we are broken and the places where he wants us to be released and freed is because he has a bigger vision of what it means to be human and what it means to be his people than we dare, I I dare myself to believe. You know, I think for many of us, church is like a, a slightly, you know, it's a pretty good social group. And we come here on Sunday and we enjoy the group together. It's a nice social organization. And my vision for me as a Christian is like kind of like a 2.0 version of myself. You know, a little less anxious, a little more pious, a little, you know, less addicted or whatever. Whatever your thing is there. That's not the dream that Jesus has of this group of people or of you. When he looks at his church, what he sees is a group of people who can embody this jubilee dream. This world-changing kingdom of people who by his power brings this freedom, brings this healing, brings this good news for the poor. It's a totally different idea. And when he looks at you, he doesn't just see, like I said, a 2.0 version of you, a slightly better person, slightly less anxious. What he sees is someone who could look like Jesus. That through your life, the light of Jesus can shine through. The power of the resurrection can be shown. That's what he sees when he looks at each one of us. And so he, he, he won't stop until that reality is true of us. And he wants us to be people who reflect that light and that goodness and that glory. And so it's a daily affair for us. As often as we pray, Jesus says, we're invited to see the ways that we fall short, the ways that we're broken, the way that we're, places we're oppressed, and then receive this freedom from God, this forgiveness. Number five, there's a vertical and a horizontal element to this effacing. You can say that if, as we've been looking at it in the story, that Jubilee is characterized by loving God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So there's a vertical element, love God, and then there's a horizontal element, love neighbor. And this prayer is doing exactly the same thing. Come to God, receive forgiveness, effacing, love God, and then Go and love your neighbor. Forgive your neighbor. Ask for jubilee. Come to God. Love God. And then offer a jubilee. Love neighbor. And then finally, the question is, who do we offer a face into? Or one observation that I want to make, the last one. Who do we offer a face into? It says, forgive us our sins, for we, also, we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. These two words in Greek are different. The first word is sin, and I already described that word. The second word, though, is actually debt. And this is the thing that's been on, like, tumble drive for me this week um, as I've prepared for this sermon. Um, where are the places in my life, where are the places in our lives where we hold people captive, where we keep them in our debt? And I don't know about you, but my personality isn't the, I'm not the kind of person who gets really angry uh, or, or like, you know, punches back when people hurt me. What I do is I just put that in the filing cabinet. And I put it back there and I'm just creating, it's, I'm, like a, I'm like a really, really bad lawyer. I'm just creating a massive case against people in my mind. And it's just going into the filing cabinet. And so if anyone ever confronts me about things, what I want to be like is, oh, let me pull up the Evernote file on you, and let's go back and forth here. That I keep people in my debt, 
that I keep people stuck, that I don't free and forgive them. How about you? I don't know what kind of personality you are, what you're like. Where are the places that God is calling you to free, to forgive others, to release them out of that release and that freedom from God? So those are a few observations about this passage. Now I'm going to invite my friend uh, John Johnstone up. I'll just introduce him quickly uh, as he comes up here. So John is a cultural mentor with uh, a ministry partner called Inner Hope. Um, And then he also works with Multiply, which is the missions branch of the the BCMB, which is the conference that we're a part of. And here's the blurb on him. John serves among the First Nations people groups in Western Canada. And in this role, John and his wife, Jen, who's also here, seek to build and strengthen relationships between First First Nations people and the church through education, prayer, and the facilitation of bridge-building encounters. So we're very grateful to have John here with us today. I'm just going to say two quick things. Uh, John, why don't you sit on this side so that uh, you can, the mic will be a little closer to you. As, do you mind just grabbing it off the stand there? Two things. Uh, so John, John is here as himself. Uh, he's also here, and he'll be speaking, and that's part of his job is to help the church uh, and um, indigenous people find reconciliation. But he doesn't speak for every indigenous person here. We've invited him to here to speak as himself. Um, and then, uh, secondly, he's a person like all of us on a journey. And so I just encourage you to respect and listen to his journey as he's here. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, uh, John. And um, the first one, I wanted to just get, the first couple, I guess, are, are kind of just reflections in general on this idea of jubilee. So we talked about it, that there's these four things, this rest that is involved, the restoration of the land, the freedom of the oppressed, the slaves who are set free. And as I've been uh, thinking through and preaching through this in the last like three months, there are loads of connections, I would say, to the, church, the church's relationship with uh, the first people. And so I'm just wondering if you can give a couple thoughts on that from your perspective. Hello. First, I just want to acknowledge that we are on the land of the uh, Slaywatuth, Hamuthquiam, and Squamish peoples who have uh, lived here and stewarded this land for thousands and thousands of years uh, in a good way. Um, yeah, I kept looking at those uh, questions and uh, looking and looking and looking. And then it sort of started to seem as Pastor John was saying, is that they they all kind of come together. They, they, uh, there's definitely kind of a thread through them. And I tried to look at them. Uh, I'm up here as an indigenous person. Tried to look at them in, in an indigenous kind of way. So uh, on, on the first one, rest. Uh, to rest. Um, for me, what uh, I got out of the uh, the rest part was is like an indig- and I enjoyed that because I seen it actually played out here today, a little bit, maybe not the same way, but the whole thing is is that uh, often as indigenous people, and I'm, I'm not even going to say it's just here on Turtle Island or Northern Turtle Island, but indigenous people we are seen as being maybe this is a little bit aggressive, but it's kind of what it is, is lazy because we're, we're late. We're not there on time. We don't value the time the same way. But part of that deal is, is that there's an importance to the now. The now has value. What is going on in my life right now has value. So if all of a sudden I had to get up and leave because my clock said that there was something else going on, it's not my way of being. My way of being as an indigenous person is to have value in the now. And um, no judgment, but I will say that when I seen the clock hit 10 o'clock and there wasn't many people in the church, I was like, oh, wow, not a lot of people coming today. But then a little bit later and a little bit later, and as we got going and going and going, the church is full. And uh, I don't know what it was that was in your now, but you had value on it because you didn't, weren't here at 10 o'clock. And that's totally okay. Uh, for us, a lot of the times, the indigenous part of that is that it is something going on in a family kind of a way. Usually it's family. Uh, we put a huge amount of value on family. We put a huge amount of value on community. So those things are important enough to us that we don't just drop and go. It's not that we're lazy. Well, maybe some of us are, but it's not that we're lazy. We're late because often there's a value on the now. 
that was a little bit about rest. There, it's it's going to maybe be circular because it's the way my mind works. I always share in stories, so if I go over a little bit, I'm sorry about that. What was the next one? Uh, there's restoration of land. Restoration of, of land. Yeah, I just wanted to try and speak on that a little bit. Um, the restoration of the land for, uh, and again, not just Northern Turtle Island, but indigenous people everywhere, there is such a value on the land, such a value on the land. My wife and I tried to, uh, are trying to learn some of our language and uh, some of my language. And in doing that, uh, our teacher, uh, for Hunkameen in many ways, the Lower River dialect, told us that you can't just learn the language. You have to learn the culture. And you have to understand the people. And to do that, you have to know about the land. Because it all comes from the land. The language comes from the land. The culture comes from the land. The people that are from this land with your ancestors buried here for thousands of years and thousands of years come from the land. So, and I think it's even biblical that in that jubilee that you give the land rest. That you give the land rest. So, as an indigenous person, when you hear give the land rest, to me, that would have to say that that involves everything of who you are. Of who you are as a person because you are from the land. Who your culture is, who, what your language is, all of that. So it's a pretty big package. But then in a Western kind of a way, where it's not such a sustainability kind of a way, but it is more of a profitability kind of a way. I know in, in the Bible, I'm pretty sure it says that you are to give the land a rest. Like literally give the land a rest. Don't expect it to continue to produce, 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 produce so that we can continue to fill our bank accounts. But give the land a rest. And when it goes on to uh, the next question, set the captives free. I think there's a couple different thoughts that ran through my mind on setting the captives free. One was definitely that there's captives that need to be freed, freed from sin. And uh, sin leads to death, so definitely be uh, freed from that. Set the captives free. But also I think it kind of comes back to that, right back to the rest and back to the... Uh, let the land rest, set the captives free. I think we get so wound up and it's, we get so involved in, it's an indigenous way of thinking that there is nothing in the future that has gotten me to where I am now. There's nothing in the future that has gotten me to where I am now. But there is everything in the past that has gotten us to where we are now. So we need to understand the past well to know where we are now that we might be able to take a good step forward. Not a five-year plan, not a 10-year plan. Because when it talks about set the captives free, where my mind went is sometimes we get so wound up in what's my five-year, what's my 10-year, what's my 15-year plan? Am I going to have my cabin? Am I going to have this? Am I going to have that? That we get so lost and so... There is no rest. We have so much technology that should allow us to be able to rest maybe, but it doesn't. It just allows us to push harder, go faster, do more so that our future will be looked after. And, and we get really lost and we don't rest and we become captive to our future almost of what we're trying to make it what we are trying to make it, not what Creator is saying we need, but what we are trying to make it. And we get held captive by our bank accounts and by our credit cards and by our... And then in doing that, we just become part of the system where there is no rest, there is no jubilee, we have to keep going, we have to keep going. I really... I really wonder, like, what is going on? Where are we getting to when we're in a society 
Uh, maybe on our on a rabbit trail here. I prayed, Creator, can you help tame the rabbit trails today? But I wonder, where are we going and what are we doing? And we're not even in a society anymore that works with uh, cash capital. Um, really, cash doesn't mean anything anymore. Today, it's all about how much debt can you carry. Uh, how, how, it's not even how much you're worth. It's what kind of debt can you carry? And when you're in that, how much rest is there? We're not even starting at ground level. We're down here. We're in debt. And the more debt you can carry, it seems like the better you're doing. To me, that's upside down. That's not God's kingdom. There, it seems like there's no rest in there. What was the last one? Fourth one? Freeing uh, or release of the captives, freeing of the debts. <laughs> that, I guess go. I kind of stepped right into that one already. It, it's uh, freeing the captains and captives, captives and releasing the debts. Yeah. yeah. Got so, a twofer there. Yeah. There we go. Um, well, that's, that's great. Thanks, John. I think, um, you know, Walt Brueggemann, who writes a lot on the Sabbath, he talks about Sabbath as resistance. Sabbath, Sabbath year, Jubilee, they all work together, and it's a resistance, actually, an active part of, of who we are. You touched on that. Um, as we kind of move into this idea specifically of forgiveness, I wanted to read this quote and get your thoughts on it. Um, it's from Sharon Ringe, who was very helpful to me in uh, understanding this Jubilee idea in Jesus' ministry. Here's what she says. Although theologians of liberation, so people who focus on Jubilee, clearly recognize the importance of, the importance of gospel imagery pointing to good news to the poor— So that's part of the Jubilee dream. They seem not to be drawn to the theological motif of forgiveness. And for good reason. From the mouth of various oppressors, it's heard as a word that would whitewash past abuses whose present consequences continue to be felt. To move too quickly to forgiveness in this fashion without addressing the patterns of oppression that have become institutionalized risks simply perpetuating the status quo before forgiveness can find its way back into the lexicon of liberation or the, before forgiveness can find its way back into the Jubilee story and into our prayer, it must be linked to justice. So for you, what is the link you think you can comment on just this, this, uh, this paragraph or what's the link between justice and forgiveness? There's a lot of big words in there. Um, I think as a Western society, we are so quick to want to fix stuff. Uh, We got to share in in, uh, Winnipeg one time. And uh, to do a good sermon, it has to have three points. That's what I'm told, I think, or what I've seen over the last 25 years of being a Christian. So uh, my wife got to share and she really rocked it because she had four points. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of funny because in that um, I share in story and in circles and it's not the way that uh, most of us think. It's kind of the way Jesus did it though. But uh, we're very uh, linear three three points with uh, A, B, and C on each point. and, And Everybody understood what my wife was saying really well, and uh, that was awesome. And there was one fellow that came up to me after the, the three days that we were there sharing, and he said, you know, I've heard you speak three times now, and I'm finally starting to get it. But uh, one of the things that uh, my wife shared on was lament. Uh, lament. Somewhere in there, there has to be lament. Like, we want to jump so quickly from it's broken, let's fix it, and now we're fixed that we didn't even get to spend and hang out in a time of lament. Uh, I know I heard one speaker say one time, as an indigenous man, he shares a whole lot about uh, the issues that go on. <laughs> issues that go on for the indigenous people. We're at the border. I try not to t- tell too many stories, but we're at the border, and this was just last weekend. We're going across the border, and I'm with my white friend uh, who does First Nation ministry. And the border guard says, where are you going? And he goes, uh, down to the FERS retreat. What are you doing there? Uh, it's a First Nation event that we're doing, talking about uh, First Nation issues. And I go, First Nation issues? I go, that's white people issues. <laughs> that's what's got us there. But 
the, uh, where was I? Back to that lament part. There is just a part where there has to be a lament, where you have to be able to sit in it for a while. Uh, the, the one guy that I was listening to, he says that after he talks, <clears throat> he says a lot of times people come up sometimes very upset uh, for what has happened, maybe for what their people have done over the last 500 years. And they're crying, and they go, how do we help? What do we do? How do we fix it? And he just says to them, that what you are in right now, what is happening in your thoughts that is leaking down into your heart, you have to sit in that for a while. You have to rest in that for a while. You have to be able to allow it to have value. Because if we just jump so quickly into the fix, there was no value on the repair. So the fix will be cheap, shallow, and hollow. So we have to, uh, there has to be that part. Another one was love that my uh, beautiful wife talked about. Love. We have to love. And not just speak the word into existence, although that does have a power, but we actually have to love. We have to have a love that allowed that information that we gained to seep down into our heart to where we have a heart posture shift. Because the Bible's pretty clear. If we pray without love in our heart, we're just a clanging symbol. Or if we do good deeds, but do good deeds without love in our heart, we're just a resounding gong. So when I get to share with churches and I ask them, like if I said, show of hands, how many people here are, are, are indigenous from Turtle Island itself? How many people are indigenous from northern Turtle Island, now known as Canada, that are in this building, in this church, well, I can't say in this church because we're the church. This is just the building. But how many indigenous people are here? Because the Bible also says you will know them by their fruit. And if you're not producing the fruit, then I got to... What's the reason? Is it because God's not who he says he is and can't do what he says he can do? Or has the church been acting without love in their heart? So the love in the heart, the love is a real, it's a real peace. The love, the love. I want to believe that when we pray with love in our heart and when we begin to do good deeds with love in our heart, then Creator will be able to do great and mighty things. Otherwise, we're just making a lot of noise. And that can just get frustrating. I don't know if that was a total rabbit trailer or if that was the question. It's all right. You're, you're welcome to take rabbit trails. I think, like, if I was to try to summarize or hear what you're saying, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that if this is a whole year, for example, Jubilee is a whole year, I think my, uh, my tendency would be to Christian moo with that, to be like, mm, yes, mm, and then want to watch the highlight video of that year. Do you know what I mean? A five-minute video. And I, I really think I appreciate what you're saying. Is that like, imagine if it was a whole year. And, and, and it's not just for me. It's for us. What does that mean? And it would mean a lament. Maybe for a year. Maybe for longer. There's a process and there's a time when there's been hurt. When like it's talking about things need to be reconciled. Uh, over a you know, 500 year period. That, that, that it's going to take. It's going to be faster than a five minute highlight video. Um, so thank you for that. The next set of questions, I'll just ask them together, and you can just riff on them however you want. Um, but kind of transitioning to talking about your personal journey of forgiveness, or the journey that you're on. So I'll ask the questions, and you can go wherever you want on them. You know, tell us where you're at, where you find yourself on this journey of forgiveness. Um, how are you, uh, how's the forgiveness of God enabling you um, to forgive others? And then how does prayer figure into that story for you? Yeah, the, the, the forgiveness part, I guess, I don't know, they're all stories. The forgiveness part is, uh, uh, is gigantic. There is, a, there is a lot that uh, the Creator uh, and His Son and the Spirit uh, forgave me. And um, if He's going to forgive me a lot, then I need to forgive a lot. Maybe even more. But uh, there's... It, it, it can be difficult when you keep hearing 
Uh, I would even use the language, I'm going to say the oppressor. Say that there is power in forgiveness. If they would just forgive, there's power in that. They need to forgive. And to me, that really puts the onus on us. Like we did something wrong. I'm sorry. You oppressed us. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Like it's, it's a difficult and goofy space to be in. And uh, it can... <laughs> on the journey there, I've seen First Nation people, Indigenous people that are just angry. But when you start to understand the story and the true histories, not the fairy tales that are written in the school curriculum, but the real true stories, and it's not just residential school, it's 500 years of relationship that is wrong. You can't be called savage and subhuman and think that that's okay. You can't be told that your skin's too dark, your hair's too dark, your language is gibberish, your culture is demonic. You need to become more like us so that you can be known by the Father. That's difficult in the relationship. So there, there's these moments of anger and frustration and I know there's a lot of people that aren't able to get past that. But I also know that the Father has such an incredible, intense, and powerful love that our weak language does not have words to describe how much He loves us. It definitely was not, was not a blessing. But when you get to have the baby that your wife birthed, that you helped create, pass away in your arms, that he's only with you for 36 hours. And there was so much prayer that went into that. Why, Creator? Were you sleeping? Were you slumbering? Did you not hear the prayers? Why? And then he says to me, John, do you know how much I love you? But why? And then he says, John, if you could have your son live, but all other people would not, would you give up your son? I'm a greedy person. I said, no. I want my baby. I want him to be able to breathe fresh air, not just hospital air. I want to take him outside and see the mountains that we are so beautifully surrounded by. I said, no. And then he says, John, that's how much I love you. I gave my son up for you and all other people. But I gave my son up for you. So that kind of puts an understanding into you that forgiveness is so important. I, uh, I get to speak at a few churches. I have been able to have a few podcasts. I had one podcast with one pastor from a Mennonite Brethren Church, and then I had a podcast with another pastor from a Mennonite Brethren Church, and my wonderful wife says, as we're out at the one, the second one, she goes, you know, if you keep telling the same story over and over and over again, this is the same group. They're all Mennonite brethren here. So don't you think they might get tired of it? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, they're probably going to get tired of it. And I said, I've even asked the Creator, Creator, can you give me some different stories that I can share? Because I think my family is getting tired of hearing these stories. My Zoom room is my kitchen table. So and we have our sitting room right beside it. So every time I'm talking or sharing or, or whatever, my family is often in there hearing it. And it got to the point where I would get up, if I was on my phone, I'd get up and walk away so they didn't have to hear it again. Because it's the same thing over and over. My youngest, Forrest, our youngest, 17 years old, he's starting to tell me some of my stories. He knows them so well. 
So I said, yeah, I asked Creator, can I have something different? Because my family's getting tired of hearing these stories. And then he says, and then I go, I, I said that to uh, my wife when we're at the, in the parking lot of this church. And then she says to me, well, you know what God says? And I was like, wow, because often my wife doesn't talk that way. Someone kind of heard her one time when she spoke what God was saying, so she doesn't often share. So when she was ready to share, I was just, okay, so what does he say? She says, God is saying that it's okay if your family, my family, our family is tired of hearing the stories. You have to keep telling them because my family, the Father in heaven, his family isn't getting it. They don't get it. We're not moving along in reconciliation like he would like us to. I asked him, I said, Father, can I have some different stories? These ones are difficult. It's emotional. It's hard. It's hard to tell these stories. Can I have some happy, shiny, smiley ones? It's difficult. It makes me emotional. These stories hurt. And he said to me, John, who says that's all your pain? It's hurting him. He is hurting. The Father is hurting because we're not getting the story. Just one last thing where the Bible says, if you have a gift and they're going to the altar to give it to the Creator, but remember that someone has something against you, not that you, but someone has something against you, then leave your gift and go make things right. And I read that or I heard that. I was like, who, who is he talking to? At that moment, who is he talking to? Because often I hear, if they would just forgive, there's such power in forgiveness. But who is he talking to? For me, he's talking to the one that frequents the altar. Who would that be? That's the church. The building don't frequent the altar. It should be the people that frequent the altar. So he's talking to the people. Go make things right. So who's the onus on? Biblically. Who's the onus on? It's the church. The church needs to begin to go make things right. Not just say if they would only forgive. But the church has a responsibility to move. The Creator has spoken through His Word. And I share that and share that and share that. And someone came up to me after service and said, Hey, John, make sure you don't sell that short because you can't have it just sound like you just got to go across the street. For some of these people, it was a one-day, two-day, three-day journey. It might have been a week to get to the altar. It might even have taken two weeks to get to the altar. So it's not that it's going to be easy just to leave your gift there, go back another week or go back two weeks to come back two weeks to give your gift at the altar. It's a journey. And I suppose like all journey, it has to start with a footstep one in front of the other. Be willing to, be willing to go on the journey. So I understand forgiveness, I think. I'd like to see the church start to move in a direction of. I think the Creator is speaking. He says we are His sheep. We, will, we hear His voice. We know. We know Him. He speaks to us because we are filled with His Spirit. We should hear Him. We should act upon what He is saying. There's lots of other stories I could share to that, but I think I'll stop. Well, thanks, John. I always appreciate your, your stories. It's an honor to share the stage with you, and uh, I'm so grateful for your conviction and uh, your, just, uh, your honesty with, with emotions with us as well. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm just going to close by talking about this last sentence, which I think is a really good bridge for what you're saying. In the, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, do not bring us into temptation. And one of the invitations there is for us to not get captured by other dreams and other stories, to not give up, to ask God to keep us focused on this work of jubilee. And, and as John is saying, it's hard, very, very difficult. And, and I do think we can get a little stuck in the, 
warm fuzzies of what it might be rather than the hard work of what it might cost us, what it might be to bring uh, jubilee into this world. And so I leave us with that, and I'll just say one last, maybe one last thing about this dream of jubilee. John said a, a lot of things today. Um, there, there are, these things need to leak out into our lives. And I don't have a, then we do this, or now we do that. But to allow yourself to sit in it, like John is talking about, and, and to allow this to birth from our community, what comes from our community because we hear these things, because we're people who are captured by the dream of Jubilee, because we're people who pray this prayer. What comes out of us? And, and I want that to be birthed from within our community, from the stories and the difficult things that we hear today, but also as we become a people who pray, asking God that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. So I'm just going to close with this reading of, of uh, the Lord's Prayer from the First Nations version of the Bible. I'm going to pray it over us, and then I'll invite us to respond um, from there. So Creator sets free, which is Jesus' name, smiled and said to them, When you send your voice to the Great Spirit, here is how you should pray. O Great Spirit, our Father from above, your name is sacred and holy. Bring your good road to us, where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected in the earth below. Provide for us day by day the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice, all the good things we need for each day. Release us from the things we have done wrong in the same way that release others for the things done wrong to us, and guide us away from the things that tempt us to stray from your good road. So we pray this together in the name of Christ. Amen.